I'm Jeff Sturtz, and this is Wide Awake, a podcast offering biblical insight and encouragement. It may come as a surprise to you, but Christians are never told formally in the Bible to celebrate Christmas. There isn't a day or festival or period of time in which we are told to observe this holiday. Now, don't stop listening just yet or think that Ebenezer Scrooge has just invaded this podcast. While there is no command or directive in Scripture to celebrate Christmas, believing Christians have traditionally used this time of year to remember anew the significance of the events of Jesus' birth. Christians have recognized that the most significant event that has happened in human history has been the coming of Jesus the Messiah to earth to take on human form. This is known as the Incarnation. But why is it significant? In short, the Christmas story is the account of God taking on human form by being born miraculously of a virgin so that he could live a sinless life, die in the place of sinners, and rise again from the grave to conquer sin and death. This reality of Jesus coming, living, dying, and rising again are what the Bible calls the gospel or the good news. And it was such good news that at the very first Christmas, even when Jesus was simply born, it was personally announced to people by high-ranking angelic beings, and even what the scripture calls a multitude of heavenly hosts. What then is so good about the good news, or the gospel, that began when Jesus was born? Why is this the biggest news in history? Why choose to celebrate Christmas if indeed you do? Well, I want to spend at least two episodes answering this question. The church plant that we're working to establish here in our community is called Wiley Gospel Fellowship. In our last episode, we looked at the Wiley part of that name and why our town has been called Wide Awake Wiley. But in this, and at least the next episode, I want to look at the word gospel and why it's not only at the center of our church name, but why it's at the center of everything we hope to do and be as a church. So we're going to leave the specific topic of Christmas and venture into the question of why the gospel or good news. What is so good about the good news that it's worth celebrating? In order to answer this, we're going to use this first episode to tackle the matters of life, death, and faith. Since the beginning of history, every human that has ever existed has lived for a certain period of time and died. Some for longer, some for shorter. But with the exception of a couple miraculous homegoing stories in the Bible, we all die. Death is sadly the common human experience. Even the best efforts at living a long life may not prove to be successful, and the ones that are only extend one's life a few more years before the grave. So with death on the horizon for you, for me, for everyone, we're left with a choice as to how we live our life right now. If I see death as the final point of my existence, that is, if there's nothing after death, no thought, consciousness, reality, etc., then everything that matters for me matters right now while I still have breath in my lungs. Because after that, I'm gone and reality ceases to exist. If everything that means anything to me is only meaningful to me while I exist, then it makes the most sense to live for the present, to drink up as much of life as I can now because there is no life after that. The Apostle Paul even makes reference to this and quite candidly when he says that if the dead are not raised, if there is no life after death, he says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Now this might sound kind of crass, but the reality is it makes the most sense. If there is no life after death and not even a guarantee of tomorrow in the life that I do have, 
we might as well strategize to enjoy as much as we can because today or next week or next month may be the last of our existence. And even if I hope to leave a legacy, chances are 10,000 years from now or less, not a single person is likely to remember us. In the grand cosmos, I'm not even a blip on the radar. Now, in this, we might become sophisticated about living our life for the here and now, and even as the ancient Stoics did deny ourselves the desire for pleasure to avoid disappointment and discontent, or we may deny ourselves things in one part of our life and gamble that we're going to be able to make it far enough to enjoy more things later. But in the end, we're simply trying to make it through our short existence without losing as much as possible and trying to enjoy as much as possible, because we know that death and non-existence await us. This worldview and belief about life is really terrifying, and if we look at it for what it is, it leaves us with a very lonely and hollow existence. The alternative is to live our life as if there is life after death, to believe that the life we live now is just a portion of our existence, that we have souls or existential parts of us that continue on after we've stopped breathing. This then changes how we see life and how we live it, at least potentially. For instance, if I believe that the life after death is not connected between how I live my life now and what happens after death, then I'm sort of in the same boat as before. If my life now means nothing in relation to the life I will live after death, then I'm sort of back to getting as much out of this life as possible because I have no guarantee that my life makes a difference for later. I may not be as concerned about non-existence, but since I have no guarantee of any reward, then my best bet now is to try to reward myself now, a bird-in-hand sort of mentality. But if, on the other hand, I not only believe that life exists after death, but also believe that there is a reward in life after death, based on what I do now, if I sincerely believe this, then I'm going to try to do my best to make sure that the choices I'm making now guarantee the best reward for life after death. It's as if life now is an investment period and the life after is the payoff. So that's life and death. What about faith? In all these scenarios we've talked about of how I choose to live my life, whether for the here and now or for the afterlife, I'm exercising something that we as people and the Bible call faith. The book of Hebrews in the Bible gives us a very helpful definition of faith. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. This definition is showing us that when you truly believe something, there is action connected to that belief. For instance, if I believe that there is a probability that I might get into a car accident, then I put my seatbelt on when I drive or ride in a car. That belief in the probability of an eventual accident causes the action of me choosing to wear my seatbelt. My wife and I are blessed to have three girls, but this of course comes with the fact that it's likely they will grow up, probably head toward getting an education, and a good possibility that they will get married. Though as crazy as they are now, it's hard to believe that. But if I do believe that these things are more than likely going to be a part of their future, I will, based on that belief, that is by faith, choose to begin saving money now for those yet-to-happen unseen events. My faith in that probable reality drives the action of saving money and many other things. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't save money or prepare for education, weddings, etc. There wouldn't be action. So as it relates to life and death and what's after that, if I believe that this life is the end of my existence, 
then that belief produces the action of pursuing as much reward in this life as possible. But if you believe there is life after death, and the quality and state of that existence depends on my life choices now, then my faith in that expected reality will produce the action of making life choices now that guaranteed a rewarded existence after death. That is why the writer of Hebrews goes on to say in verse 6 of chapter 11 that whoever would come to God must, quote, believe that he is, that, that's saying that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. There's that reward language right there in the text. Then he goes on to illustrate this with Old Testament characters. He's already talked about Adam and Eve's son Abel and his actions connected to his belief. But he goes on to talk about Noah, Abraham, Moses, and many others. All these believed that there was a reward after death. And because they believed in a reward, they acted accordingly. Noah built a big boat and preached righteousness. Abraham left a cushy life in the Ur of the Chaldees and ventured into a desert with his wife and hundreds of servants. Moses left the luxurious life of the Egyptian palace to head to that same desert. And the list goes on and on. Each person acted according to God's word, trusting that God would keep his promise of providing something better in the future and after their death. So faith is the demonstration, the acting out of what we believe, what we are convinced of. Now let's pull all this together as it relates to the gospel or the good news. People believe in a lot of different things that they think will guarantee them a reward after they die. This aspect is not exclusive to Christianity. There are some who believe that if they live well and follow certain rules and observe certain religious rites, they will become a god of their own planet. That's their action and reward framework, their faith. There are people who believe that if they harm other people, that they will be rewarded in the afterlife. That is their action and reward framework, their faith. There are people who think that if they do certain religious practices and rites and live a good life, they will reincarnate and repeat life and eventually ascend to eternal life. That is their action and reward framework, their faith. The Christian gospel, as it relates to the reward side of things, says that you as a human can be assured that when you die, you will physically rise again to a better life, a supremely better life than the one you experience now because Jesus himself physically rose from the dead when he died. The good news of Christ tells us that rather than being subject to God's wrath poured out on sin after death, we can be saved from that wrath and experience forgiveness, restoration, and resurrection to eternal life. That's the reward. But what then is the action? What is the thing that I need to do to guarantee that reward? John, one of Jesus' disciples in his gospel account, makes it very simple. He says towards the end of his writing of his gospel account, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, or the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. The action required then by God according to what is in the Bible is simply this, believing in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. That's it. That's the action reward framework of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the Christian faith at its core. Now, as we're wrapping this episode up, as an insightful person, you might be thinking, okay, I get what faith is, and at least the crux of the Christian gospel, but why, though, should a person believe this faith instead of a different faith or a different action reward framework? 
a different hope. Why not believe that standing on my head for three hours a day will guarantee a better afterlife? That's a great question because it's really asking if there is life after death, if there is a God, then what is it that he has revealed to people that would make it reasonable for them to pursue him? What is the object of and the grounds for this faith? Why does this faith make sense? I'm happy to tell you that the Bible not only speaks to this, but it connects it to the human experience so that what we know now in reality as human beings corresponds to the hope presented in Scripture. I'm looking forward to exploring this more, but we'll be doing this further in the next episode. So I invite you to join me then. Thanks for listening. If you don't know what it means to know God personally, please don't hesitate to reach out, and we'd love to show you from the Bible how you can know God. You can email me at info at wileygospel.org. If you're not plugged into and regularly attending a local church in the Wiley area, I invite you to come out and visit us. You can find the times and location on our website, wileygospel.org. I look forward to sharing with you more encouragement from God's Word here on Wide Awake.